Hey, it's me, Corey Daniels, the host of Dead Air. This is where we dive into Grateful Dead recordings. For this program, we're going to be changing it up a bit. We're going to be talking with photographer Larry Reichman. He was privileged enough to have a camera and access to Barton Hall for the entire day of May 8th. That's when the Grateful Dead put on their legendary concert at the venue. That show was at the end of my freshman year in college. That's the voice of Larry Reichman. He was one of the fortunate students to experience the Cornell Show, 5877. People were in a good mood, you know, classes were over, you had another week before finals, so people were certainly in the mood to have a good time. In 2011, the Cornell 77 tapes were selected by the Library of Congress for the esteemed honor of inclusion in the National Recording Registry. Everything that you read about this Cornell show is perfection, even when they rolled into town at Ithaca, New York on that Sunday evening to perform for the students. This concert took place right after classes were over and before finals. In fact, coincidentally, I believe that was called Dead Week. To say Larry was over-anxious for this concert would be kind of an understatement. He had been a fan of the band for the high times and the low times. Shortly after I became a fan, they announced their hiatus from touring. (laughs) So I was kind of bummed because I uh, didn't know, honestly, if I'd ever get to see him or if so, when. Not only did he get to see this legendary concert, but his seats weren't bad either. You know, I was up there in the front. I wasn't right right in the front, but I was like about eight rows back. So Larry Reichman, he got to have an excellent seat for one of the most legendary Grateful Dead concerts. But even more than that, he kind of had a fly-on-the-wall experience from when the equipment trucks, when the tour trucks showed up at the campus all the way until the encore. I actually spent the whole day in Barton Hall from the beginning of the setup and then all the way through the concert. By now, you're probably thinking, now how did this guy get so lucky? Good seats? An all-access pass? A college kid? How did he pull it off? I had done a bunch of black and white photography in high school. I had a dark room and learned how to use an SLR camera. Did some work for the school yearbook. Some of the photos that he took of his friends ended up in the yearbook as senior photos, but he took pictures of sporting events in high school, so it just made sense that he would carry the camera on into his college career. I signed on to be a photographer for a local newspaper. It was kind of a free weekly paper. They sent me to do a variety of things. First, I took photos at a number of concerts that year on the Cornell campus, and then I covered a bunch of other um, news events, uh, speakers who came to town, and that kind of thing. The concerts that were hosted by the Cornell University were done with the Cornell Concert Commission. One of the volunteers was a buddy of Larry Reichman, and he gave Larry this great idea. He suggested I go talk to somebody, and I got a pass to be in the hall the whole day, so I wasn't actually there for the paper. I was, you know, I just had a pass to be there from the Concert Commission. Regardless of who he represented at the concert, the guy still got an all-access pass for a Grateful Dead concert. Now, this was the late 70s. The Grateful Dead were pretty hot. It must have been pretty difficult to achieve and to obtain one of these all-access passes. It was very um, casual. Uh, I told him that I'd take photos, and I told him that I'd give him some photos. And that was about good enough for them. I think they just wanted to have someone who could take some photos. You know, today you go to a concert, everyone's got a phone, everyone's a photographer. Back then, you actually had to know a bit of what you were doing in order to 
be able to take decent photos without using flash at a concert. This was a huge deal for the Cornell Concert Commission. There was a good chance that nobody on staff really knew how to operate a camera, and this was going to be one of their biggest concerts that they were going to be able to pull in at that time. So they were just stoked to have somebody that would take a couple pictures and uh, give it to them. Although Larry Rackman was a freshman at the time, college kid and he doesn't claim to be a professional photographer he talks a little bit about some of the uh, amateur mistakes that he did a lot of the shots i got in the second set not only were they more close up because of the telephoto but i got some really interesting shots that show some motion so a little bit of blur you know you can see jerry kind of tilting to the side or moving through the moving on the stage initially i kind of labeled those as mistakes but as i was working on the book those came to be some of my favorite photos because they they show energy and they show movement in a pretty cool way. It is really cool that Larry Reichman was able to uh, snap these shots, regardless of the quality of the picture. Not only because it was an excellent show, but it was also a special time in Larry's life. This show uh, was some of the last black and white photography I did probably in my whole life. I'm sure I did a little bit more, but after that year, I didn't work for the paper. I didn't have access to a dark room. How about ending on a high note? Last black and white photos that the guy takes is at Cornell 77 Grateful Dead concert. And not only did he, uh, those were the final pictures that he took, but they were also very rare pictures. There was one other fellow who was, took some photos of the first set. He wasn't there for the setup. And he wasn't there for the second set. He was working for a newspaper. He was a professional photographer. No one else was traveling with the band, so they didn't have a photographer traveling with the band. Uh, as far as I know, and I've done a lot of outreach and uh, networking, there were only two people that had photos, uh, me and this other guy. He was very close to the stage. I think he was probably right up in front of the stage for that first set. So his angle is very much looking up whereas I was further back, so it's more of a kind of a straight-on view, and I have photos of the whole stage, whereas he was kind of more focused on individual uh, performers. Those performers were definitely on fire. Former Grateful Dead vault archivist Dick Latvala once wrote in his journals, enough cannot be said about this superb show. You know, it's kind of the holy grail of, of concerts. So it's really cool to be able to have some visuals with this excellent performance. No one had seen photos of this show. There were no images out there for 40 years. Even the band or the organization didn't have photos. People were pretty stoked to actually hear that there were some images. There's no video that I've heard of. Photos of the show alone would just go down in the history books, but with Larry and that all-access pass, we also get some bonus photos as well. Took photos of the setup, so they were setting up the lights, the stage, everything else. It looked like they were helping to uh, unpack the equipment. Cornell student Larry Reichman taking photos of the Grateful Dead roadies as they set up the stage for their Cornell show in May 8th, 1977. And he described some of the more memorable setup shots that he took. Steve Parrish setting up the drums, some of the guys who were climbing the scaffolding or known roadies. Larry Reichman admits that he was more of a witness of the day and not a participant. No use in distracting the boys from their work or messing with Mother Nature. So he kind of just sat back and watched and uh, as they transformed the venue Barton Hall from 
what it's primarily used for, and they turned it into a concert venue. It was used as a gym. It was used as a workout facility for the uh, the ROTC folks there. Uh, if you actually look outside the building, uh, the name of the, you know, the sort of the topics uh, covered by the building are physical education and military education. So it's kind of like, I've never been in an airplane hangar, but I kind of picture like a big airplane hangar. It's just a huge empty building. There was many uses for Barton Hall, but being a rock and roll concert venue definitely wasn't in its strong suit. You know, it wasn't kind of uh, like you might picture today. There was no formal backstage area. I mean, there was just an area behind the stage. With this lack of accommodations, Larry Reichman didn't get any photos of the band, quote-unquote, backstage. Besides, at that time, he was ready for showtime. You know, I was up in the front, and I didn't I didn't leave my spot, because I didn't want to lose my spot. So I didn't wander around. I didn't really see what was going on back there. It's really good to get a understanding of Barton Hall. Some people say that the show was actually it sounded bad, and it just sounded really good on tape, and it really didn't reflect what was at the venue. So it was really cool to catch up with Larry Reichman and listen to a guy who was there and get his thoughts on the sound quality. And I thought the sound was excellent. It was a little bit to the left, so I heard probably some of the stage sound and, and then the PAs, and actually I thought it was great. Maybe once you got way back, Maybe it didn't sound as good, but from my vantage point, it sure sounded good. Another rumor that would float around was also the atmosphere at Barton Hall. Uh, some people said that it was really hot and sweaty and it wasn't an enjoyable experience. I honestly don't remember it being, you know, terrible. <laughs> I don't remember it being hot and sweaty. I don't have any recollection of it being uncomfortable in any way. You know, other than, you know, you're standing for three hours, but, you know, we were we were young back then and we could do that. Another rumor slash big question mark about the Cornell show was about how many people attended the concert. Some people say 10,000 people showed up as the uh, hype around the concert started getting bigger and bigger as time went on. Of course, everybody wanted to say that they were at the concert. But Larry Reichman, he even admitted he wasn't quite sure how many people got through the doors. I'm not great with numbers. I did once guess the number of M&Ms in a jar, but uh, beyond that, I'm not, I'm not great. It just surprised me that that call would hold that many people. I would have thought more like 3,500 to 5,000 or something. Some rumors say that there were 10,000 people at this show. As the uh, concert got more epic and as time went on, of course, more and more people wanted to say that they were there, but they really weren't. But uh, some portion of the audience were definitely the classic tapers. Hey, there were definitely tapers. You know, as I was working on the book, I started listening to some of the uh, recordings that are up on archive.org. And um, there were definitely tapers there. There were definitely audience tapes. You know, I don't recall seeing a bunch of folks doing that. I remember uh, interacting with somebody uh, who said he was taping and he made it sound like he was right near where I was standing, but uh, I don't recall seeing a bunch of mics thrust up in the air. Um, and I think it was before they had those big taper sections of their shows. There definitely were audience tapes. On top of that, you had the board recording. You can't go wrong with that. And that's why a lot of people were attracted to this Cornell show. It was one of the first board tapes that was actually circulated. So I think that, plus, of course, I think that was a great period for the band, spring of 77. They were just sounding great. Leaving Barton Hall, 
Did the attendees know that they had witnessed history and what would become as an epic concert? I certainly didn't leave saying, wow, this, this show was the best ever and will stand the test of time. Uh, I don't think I had any kind of uh, foresight like that. But kind of as a spoiler alert, leaving Barton Hall, something else got their attention. When we left, and mind you, this was May, uh, it was snowing, you know, outside, and that was kind of uh, pretty magical. Once the exciting topic of the weather kind of died down, Larry still had a job to do with it came to those photos. You know, probably the next day or sometime in the next week or so, I went and developed and printed the photos. I gave the concert commission probably three or four prints. At the most, Larry got an attaboy or a pat on the back. And then, thankfully, he kept the photos. But more importantly, he just kept the photos stored and organized in a neat fashion for the next 40 years. They were just kind of sitting in a folder. I had the negatives. I preserved the negatives pretty well. So they were just kind of sitting in my negative book. That's where they were. While the photos were being private, the tapes of the Barton Hall concert were going public. And Larry says that it took a while for this to kind of merge. It took a couple years before Larry went, you know, I think people are kind of interested or would be interested in checking out photos of this Cornell show. I honestly didn't know until, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. Legends take time, right? Nothing's immediately legendary. So I think it... Uh, I, I honestly can't tell you when it really acquired that status. And I think it would have to take time to develop that status, you know. And then again, I was reminded of it about three years ago from another friend who was also kind of blown away when I told him I had photos because he said, man, no one's ever seen photos of this show. And I kind of filed that away. He was again reminded of the legendary concert as it was approaching a significant milestone. Yeah, I started thinking about this about two, three years ago, realized that, you know, I did the math and realized, oh, the 40th anniversary is coming up. He started putting together his book, which now has its own website, gdbartonhall1977.com. As I was working on it, I realized that there were some other efforts. So the first thing I heard about was the Cornell book. My name is Peter Connors. The book is Cornell 77. The Music, the Myth, and the Magnificence of the Grateful Dead Concert at Barton Hall. I caught wind of the uh, of the box set and the CD release that were coming out. You know, we weren't all working together, but there were at least three different uh, streams of, of work that was working towards commemorating you know, that anniversary. The Grateful Dead camp, they had just acquired or recovered the abort tapes of the Cornell show. So I kind of just sent a cold email and said, hey, uh, you might like to know I have photos. And I got a call back very quickly from uh, David Lemieux, who confirmed that they were working on that confidentially and told me that they were just basically sitting around the day before saying, boy, we wish we had some photos of the show. So I was able to supply them with some that are in now in the, the CD collections that were published uh, a year ago. The hype didn't stop there because there was also another book in the works, and that book was coming from Larry. The name of the book is Barton Hall 5877. It's a collection of photos from the uh, infamous uh, Grateful Dead concert at Barton Hall, uh, Cornell University, on May 8, 1977. It can be purchased on my website, GB 
bartonhall1977.com. Every picture definitely does tell a story, so there is very little writing in Larry Reichman's book. A few places where I put some lyrics in to match the photo, but it's much more of a visual treat. There are four relatively short written pieces. David Lemire wrote uh, forward. I wrote kind of a preface um, where I just kind of talked about my experience. Then uh, another fan who I met through the Kickstarter, an uh, awesome guy named David Beckwith, wrote an afterword. So it was kind of a combination of a review of the show and uh, you know, some of our interactions. When you pick up that visual presentation, Larry Reichman breaks down the book and tells you what you can expect. The book itself, there's three chapters. First chapter is the setup. Second chapter is the first set. Third chapter is the second set. Uh, the encore. Taking a look at Larry Reichman's pictures in his book and also listening to the music is almost a perfect way to jump in a time machine. That was really a great period for the band. They were just really tight. You know, it was before they were playing in big arenas. So they were literally, you know, huddled, relatively huddled together, very close, making really good um, eye contact, a lot of interaction among the members of the band. The chemistry on the stage was on point, and that definitely carries over on the box set, Get Shown the Light, and also on the album. Every time I open it up, I see my photos right there in the uh, CD set, uh, beautifully colored and layered. You know, as you can imagine, it's a huge thrill for me to, to see my work there, to have played a role in the making of, uh, of these gorgeous CDs. To have a heightened experience listening to the album, get Larry's book at gdbartonhall1977.com. Take a look at the pictures while listening to the music. I made sure to lay all the photos out in chronological order so that one could go through the show and say, okay, here they're starting with this song. The first three photos out of the box are New Mingle with Blues. Um, and you can kind of match up, uh, see who's singing and uh, figure out what song is being played. Once again, big thanks for uh, Larry Reichman being a guest on Dead Air. For more about Larry or his book on the uh, and the photos that he took of Barton Hall, uh, take a look at his website, gdbartonhall1977.com.